And so what I hear Glenville saying is we reject being a synagogue. No more synagogue-based ministry here in Cleveland. But instead, we feel called to go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so I'm just grateful for that. Grateful for the vision. Grateful for your pastor. I'm just so thankful that he has been willing to be not only a mentor but a friend. And I'm thankful that God has sent me with a word to bless this church when it comes to what is God trying to do through you in Euclid? What is God trying to do through you in Euclid? But before we get into the word, I just want to lift up a word of prayer. Uh, in at New Life, we pray just a little bit differently. We pray as David prayed. We pray as David prayed. So I'm going to open up uh, with a word of prayer, but it'll be a tad different. For we believe that the spirit of David is the spirit that still, still exists here on this planet. That through the lifting up of notes and songs, that demons actually free or flee spaces. That you can cast out demons through the lifting up of notes before God. So I like this song. It simply says, Savior, you can move my mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. Come on, lift that up. You rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Can we just sing that again? Say, Savior, you can move my mouth. See, he wants to move some stuff today. He's mighty to save. Jesus mighty to save. Oh, he's forever. Author of salvation. Come on, we're lifting up this prayer to God. Conquered the great Jesus. Now watch this. I love this praise. It just simply says, hey. Hallelujah. Come on, lift that up. You have won the victory. Do you know it? Can we just give it to him this morning? Just say it from your belly. Hallelujah. Say you have won the victory. Come on, death can. Death will not hold you down. I like that part because you are the risen king. And where is he seated? Can someone just lift that up? In majesty. Say you are the risen king. Come on, let's just sing that chorus once again. Hallelujah. Come on, say it now. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. We believe it today that you are victorious, that you are high and lifted up. Come on and say hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have won it all for me. Won it all for. And here's my favorite part. It says, not hold you down. Yes. So you are the risen king. He's seated in all majesty. Majesty. 
so this is where we just bring it down and we give him this reverent praise and say come on can you do that just say And then we take it up and say, oh. but then we put words to it and say, Hosanna in the highest let our King be lifted up. Come on, let's sing that again. And just lift it up. Say, hold. Oh, God, this is for you in this moment, God. We lift it up for you. Let our King be lifted up. God, we praise you in this moment. God, we reflect on your goodness and we are moved. We are moved to lift up glory to you. Your word says that you actually love it when we bless your name, God. So blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter if we are here because we have met the God that giveth. No matter if we're here because we've met the God that takes away. Our heart will still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because God, you're worthy of everything. God, may your name be lifted up in honor in this place. When we leave this place, may we know, God, that your name has been lifted higher. For not only do you deserve it, God, but we just want to say thanks. Thanks, man, for bringing the redeeming power back to our planet. And now as we reflect on your word, we pray that the meditations of our heart and every word that is uttered from every mouth would not be anything but acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. Why is God sending Glenville to Euclid? I think we're going to find the answer to that question in Acts, the 20th chapter. If you could just continue playing until after the scripture reading, I'll be perfect. Acts, the 20th chapter. God has a word for us because he's trying to answer the question that's probably been on so many minds. Why are we leaving the comfort of our environment that has been established for decades? Why are we leaving to go to, to Euclid? God's answer is found in Acts, chapter 20. Reading verses 7 through 10, and then we will finale with verse 12. Acts chapter 20, reading verses 7 through 10, we'll finale with verse 12. I'm reading it from the New English Translation. If you can see it, say, I'm there. Oh, man, can, can you not see the screens? Do some people need to put on some contacts or some glasses? Trying to make sure you got time because you need to see it. All right, let's try it again. If you can see it, say, I'm there. 
Okay, that sounds good. Verse 7 reads, on the first day of the week. Which day of the week? Yeah, first day. I know we had some surge church stuff about the first day of the week, and people were wondering how cool it was. Well, here's a service taking place on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week when we met to break bread, Paul began to speak to the people. And because he intended to leave the next day, he extended his message until when? Man, that's a long message. I am just going out on a limb and guessing that if I wanted to extend my message until midnight, who would be here? Yeah, see, I have no love in this place. Verse 8 reads, now there were many lamps. What were there? Lamps in the upstairs room. That's very important. It looks insignificant. Very important. Now, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Verse 9, a young man named Eutychus, say Eutychus who was sitting in the window was sinking into a deep sleep while Paul continued to speak for a long time. Fast asleep, watch what happens. He fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Verse 10, but Paul went down. Notice, but Paul, although Eutychus fell, but Paul, and then he went down. That's important. Then he threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him, and said, do not be distressed, for he is still alive. Verse 12, our final text. They took the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. I just want to speak to you underneath the theme, go get Eutychus. Subtitle, go get Euclid. Yeah, amen. Amen. God, may everything that you've shown me happen here today. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen. Amen. There is still one thing in my life that anytime I see it, I do not have compassion on the victim. I just have to start laughing. Now, some of you may say, oh, he's probably talking about when someone trips and falls. No, I've actually conquered that temptation. I, I've actually been able to, uh, to establish and exhibit self-control and first check in to see if they're okay before I then point and laugh. So, so I have some self-control there. Some of you may say, oh, it has to be when somebody's joning on somebody else. And they just bust that ultimate joke, that memorable joke that we'll be talking about for five years. No, no, I've gained some self-control there too. And I will first look at the facial expression of the person who just got joked on. If they are offended, I don't laugh. But if they laugh, I join in too. And I laugh. But there's still one place in my life that I still cannot exhibit self-control. And that is when people start dozing off to sleep. Man, I can't do it. There's just something about it. A matter of fact, please be careful. I brought my iPad up here because if anyone starts dozing off in this message, I'm going to try to record you and make you a social media phenomenon. I'm talking about millions of views because that joint is just funny when individuals are trying to fight off falling asleep. Right? You have some people who I call the nightmare dozers. They're dozing and something happens as I guess that first dream starts and then they just, oh, 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 right? And they just jump up as if they're awakened from a nightmare. And then you have the whiplash dozers. Those may be one of our favorites, 
right? And they never nod forward. They always nod backwards. And then they wake up with some spinal issues and all that good stuff, yeah? But then you also have the individuals who I call the slide dozers. And those are the people that just kind of hit a... And then they just slide off. They slide off their chair. They slide off the desk. They slide off of whatever is propping them up. They even try to keep their hand there. Just slide off that thing. See, this thing is funny to me. And I can't stop laughing. That was until I attended a sleep seminar. Before I thought it was funny. Until I actually got into the science behind why you sleep. Did you, do you recognize that you don't decide when you go to sleep? Your body decides when you go to sleep. This is not a concerted effort or this is not an energy thing. This is not a self-control thing. But there's a, there's a chemical called melatonin. And melatonin is released in the body when another toxic chemical called adenosine or adenosine, as some would pronounce it. When that builds up in your blood, the neurotransmitters in your brain signal for melatonin to release. And this is why you get sleepy. Now, the reason the body puts you to sleep is because that's how cells dispel toxins. So all day long, just the act of living, your body actually attracts damage. Just you walking around every day, breathing in and breathing out, your body actually attracts toxins, damage, all of that. And so your cells say, we need a chance to heal ourselves, so we need to put you to sleep. Notice that we sleep because we are in a toxic environment. There are some things on the inside that seem to be putting our body underneath a very high amount of duress and stress. And so what the body does is it tries to calm you down and then settle you down so that it can heal itself. Sleep is how your body heals itself. Now, this is a major issue because the Center for Disease Control recently released an article that called for a public health epidemic announcement. There is an epidemic in the United States of America, and that is sleep disorders. Did you know that you will die faster from a lack of sleep than you will from a lack of food? That the body can last up to 14 days on average without food, but it can only last between 8 and 10 days without sleep. Because what you're doing to your body when you said, no, I'm not going to sleep, you're saying, I'm not going to allow you to heal yourself. That's what's really happening. So individuals, why, why can't we get to sleep? Well, many believe it's technological advance. One of the worst, worst, worst inventions for your sleep was electricity. Because how God made your body is that when the sun goes down, melatonin releases in darkness. Now, this is very key for us. That when you're surrounded by darkness, your body kicks in something that helps you go to sleep. Because as the Bible says, evening and there was morning that was created. Both created for their own purpose. And darkness was given because light actually stops melatonin from being released. 
The inverse is true, though. If you have a problem staying up while the sun is up, your body is damaged. If you find it hard to stay awake while the sun is up, your body is trying to tell you I'm damaged and I need time to heal myself. Seven out of ten Americans suffer from sleep disorder or intermittent sleep disruption. And I want you to catch this now. When it comes to sleeping, you are always, based on the Better Sleep Council, sleep deficiency is something that is not uh, excusable. You can't just look at it and say, well, you know what? I got tasks to do. I got projects to turn in. Sleep is when your body is trying to tell you, I have a toxic environment and I need healing. So usually we look at Eutychus and we get on him for sleeping. Usually we look at the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and we get on them for sleeping. Usually we look at the parable of the ten virgins and we get on them for sleeping. But notice that the only difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins is not based on who slept and who stayed awake. It was based on who had oil when they woke up. See, Jesus understands as he looked over his disciples and declared, listen, man, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your body throughout a day is constantly taking on more and more damage. Toxins are building up in your bloodstream, and you want to know why. You don't really feel the itis after eating a salad, but a huge plate of soul food will put you to bed faster than any mother's lullaby. Yes, we celebrate it, but it is because there's been an increased buildup of toxins in our bloodstream. So the body's trying to say, I'm glad you enjoyed your meal, but I'm damaged. Yeah, no amens right there, right? No amens right there. I'm looking at the text, and I think far too many Christians are too hard on sleepy individuals. We don't recognize that sleep is not a sign that you are unsavable or unredeemable or unreachable. It's actually a sign that your body is under an immense amount of stress in a very toxic environment. And if we're all honest, we will recognize that sleep in the Bible is always representative of spiritual enlightenment. When people are sleeping, it means that they need some type of truth. They need some type of awakening. They actually need somebody to come by them, shake them, and say, Yo, it's time to get up. But there's a problem in this text. I got a problem with a church meeting where an individual is allowed to sleep to his death. I got a problem with a church that comes together and allows a young cat, one of the youth in the church, to fall to their death because they fell asleep. And this is why I said you got to pay attention to verse 9 because verse 9 takes away all excuses. Yes, the sermon was happening at night, and yes, this is pre-electricity, but the writer almost wants you to get the fact that someone should have 
notice Eutychus because it says there were many lamps in the room. It's not as if he was hiding in the shadows. It's not as if he was out of plain sight. Someone should have noticed Eutychus falling asleep in a window. But instead, they were so caught up on taking in truth that they forgot to check on people who are outside of the group. Man, can we look at it in the text? And if there is something we need to confess today, it is that Christians have become drunk over this idea of being saved. A matter of fact, most people answer an appeal and say they want to get baptized because they want to go to heaven. But I want you to recognize that when Jesus invites you to be a part of his movement, he does not say, I'm going to fish for you. What he says is, I'm going to make you a fisher of other people. So the passion of the Christian is not about getting to heaven. It's making sure others get there. But because they were in the church, soldiers intoxicated with hearing another good preacher bring another good word, they were only consumed with themselves getting truth and themselves getting enlightenment and themselves getting an awakening that they forgot about the young cat sitting in a window. The text says there were many lamps in the room. I also want to point out that lamps here can also be interpreted symbolically. For in the Bible, lamps always represent truth. So the text is not just saying that someone should have noticed him. It's also saying that he fell asleep and died while being surrounded by truth. Man, is this a word for the Seventh-day Adventist church today? Is there a word for us here? For we walk around championing the fact that we have meetings in well-lit spaces where we discuss truth while a world of lost people fall out of windows right on our doorstep. And I'm reading the text saying somebody needs to go get Eutychus. There is a need for a revival in the church, and this revival is way beyond proof texting. This revival is way beyond exegesis and hermeneutical uh, tactics and approaches. This revival is about Christians becoming more burdened for lost souls than they are even burdened for their own soul. Somebody should have noticed Eutychus. But because we're surrounded by truth, because we're in a well-lit space and there's a guest speaker in the house that we've heard about from far and wide who is now extending his message until midnight, no one thinks about the dude falling asleep in a window. But let's ask another question. It is very clear to me that the liturgy of this meeting is not geared for Eutychus. Liturgy being defined as the order of service. This gathering is not made for Eutychus. 
Yes, there are people there who we could call more mature in their faith, or we just could say they have a greater attention span. There are individuals there who are staying awake until midnight. But notice this young cat is probably a dude who's been exerting energy all day. And you know what? Everybody in here can testify to the fact that young people don't have an attention span that will allow them to just be up until midnight listening to some dude preach, all because he's going to be leaving in the morning that probably doesn't make any sense so when I'm looking at the text I'm saying man that's our problem everything about our meetings are geared for us everything about our programs are geared for us everything about our evangelism is geared for us and as soon as you try to suggest that we need to take on a different methodology, be creative and get out of the box, someone runs in and says, but preacher, don't forget the tradition. But preacher, don't forget about your old saints. But preacher, don't forget we got to keep tithes up. Preacher, don't forget our offering is falling down. Preacher, don't forget that's never been done before. And my response is always, listen, I'm not going for them. I'm going to get you to kiss. Because there's a young cat in the, in the meeting that doesn't understand this tradition of staying up listening to a preacher. There's a young cat there who's not accustomed to the ins and outs of Seventh-day Adventism. And although there's a whole lot of truth there, he can't digest it because it's not being given to him in a way that he prefers. Catering to a lost world does not have to mean compromise. It can actually mean compassion. Man, can we talk about that a little bit? Because the first thing people will say about this Euclid project is, man, aren't you, aren't you compromising? Isn't this a little bit too far, preacher? And I want to say, no, what I just watched this morning was a vision of compassion recognizing that there are some people in Euclid that are sitting in windows falling asleep because they are in a toxic environment and there needs to be a church that feels the calling of the Holy Spirit to go up the street, open up a church, open up a community center, do some Bible studies in some high rises and make sure those kids know you got a mentor here. Why? Because we have to go get Eutychus. This young man should have never died. Someone should have noticed. But they were so engrossed with the preaching of truth that they forgot to check on people who maybe don't have that stamina. They forgot to check on the people who are still coming out of toxic environments that can't understand any jibber-jabber coming out of the preacher's mouth. And so we got an issue. Dude's falling asleep, no one notices. But I love the response of the church. But the text says that he ends up falling out the window three stories and dies. But I love what the church does. Notice that the church stops the meeting. They stop business as usual. They stop the planned program. They stop what they had on the agenda. 
they stopped what they had on the calendar and it says they went downstairs. Now recognize that elevation in the Bible is also symbolic. Whenever you go up into the mountain, onto the hill, that represents a spiritual high, a place near the gods, near to God, or for the pagans near to the gods. But whenever you go down in the Bible, that represents going to a debased place, a place of immorality and a lack of ethical norms. I want you to recognize here that Paul has to stop his preaching to go down. And you should never feel bad or feel guilty when people look at Glenville and say things like, well, where are your baptisms? Well, well, well where are, are the souls and goals? Man, those will come in time. It is your job, though, first to make sure you're willing to go down to where people are and bring them back to life. For did not God himself set up the standard for how we are to travel as the people of God? Philippians says that Jesus did not think it robbery to leave his high throne and come down. And so we will celebrate the fact that God came down for us, but we are unwilling to go down for other people. And I want you to try this on for size. There's a book called Seeking a Sanctuary. And that book talks about over three generations, if you become an Adventist, within three generations, you will actually enter a different socioeconomic strata. That there's something about Adventists that makes people better United States citizens, more successful when it comes to capitalism. They get more education. They start earning more. There are so many variables. But watch this. What happens is when we finally get to a tier, an economic tier, we are taught by our society never to return to the tier we just came from. A matter of fact, we feel ashamed about it. Here's an example. When you go to check into a, into a hotel and you think you paid a good price to be around good people, in quotes, good people, what you're really talking about is middle class people, upper middle class people. And God forbid we actually find some Groupon to get into an upper class hotel, right? When we show up with our bags, we got our shades on, we go ahead and throw the valet our keys like we've been there before. We start asking about is there a refrigerator? bar in our room is their room service and then when people start talking about the rates per night we say oh it's nothing and then we slide them on the low our Groupon that gives us 70% off that weekend see we start acting bougie when God blesses us and we never want to return and go down. So instead, we love to sit in cathedrals. And yes, I did use that word cathedral. Some of you say, no, we have churches. No, what we have is cathedrals because people are the churches. Cathedrals are the buildings where people who are the church come together to meet. So we sit in cathedrals and we get excited because we've been blessed. And we sing songs about the fact that we've been blessed. But in our blessing, we forget to go get Eutychus. 
We must reject our societal norm that tries to convince us that once you get money, once you get education, once you move out of that neighborhood, once you move uptown, once you are able to buy your house instead of rent your house, you should never be seen with those type of people. I have news for you. Jesus came for those type of people. And in his first sermon, he said, I have come so to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed and to set free the captives to preach the good news of God's favor that's coming down this year that's the type of church God is looking for but instead we have been convicted to be arrogant in the blessings we've received and we distance ourselves from the exact people we're supposed to be serving and what happens in the meantime they fall out of windows The Bible says that Paul had to be humble enough before God to admit that what I'm preaching is not more important than that young man down there. That what I'm sharing is not more important. Yeah, I got to go out on a boat tomorrow, but that's not more important. I am going to stop the service as usual, and I'm going to go get Eutychus. Watch this text, though. So you're wondering, when you get to Euclid, how do you bring that community to life? It's really simple. Two things. When you finally get down there and you accept God's calling over this church for that community, the first thing you are to do is throw yourselves onto them. The Bible says that when Paul gets downstairs, the first thing he does is he throws himself on him. See, some of y'all are still too too high-minded in your mind, so let me act it out. He goes down and says this. And he lays on that man. And what this is a symbol of is intimacy. There is no more intimate position you can be in with another human being than to lay on them. That is the epitome of intimacy. And I'm looking at Paul and he says, I love this boy so much. Man, I'm sorry. I didn't notice you. I was so caught up in my preaching, so caught up in my proselytizing, so caught up in sharing the gospel that I forgot about the young man that I greeted at the door who went to go sit in a window. But hey, brother, I'm here now. I've come down to your level and I'm going to sacrifice my body see you get back on your feet when's the last time we have sacrificed our bodies to see people redeemed to the kingdom of God now when's the last time you gave all of your might and all of your strength and all of your mind and all of your heart to see people brought back into the fold of God I want to suggest to you that we have not become a church of God until we reflect the passion of Jesus Christ. What was his passion? His passion was putting his body on the line for this planet. That is his passion. And until you're willing to sell out everything to see somebody brought into the kingdom, I don't think you can claim I'm a Christian. Someone show me in the text. Show me in the text how you can claim to be a Christian without reflecting the passion of Jesus. I want you to recognize that Paul got it. 
he recognized what it would take to bring back someone who is dealing and wrestling with a toxic environment. He was going to give his body for that boy. But then the last step, it says he wrapped his arms around him. It says he wrapped his arms around him. What do we call that in our language, in our time? He hugged that boy. He didn't just throw himself on him, but then when he got on to him, he hugged him. And if you watch the progression of the text, he didn't just hug him while in the prostrate position, but he hugged him while lifting him up. And then when he was lifted up, he looked to the crowd and said, he's cool. There's still life in him. I want you to know that you have to watch this text carefully because how is it that the text starts out and says that he fell and died, but then Paul lifts him up with with a hug and says, there's still life in him. I want you to recognize that Paul transferred some of his life into that boy's life. That God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a love and a peace and a sound mind. He has given us the authority over the grave, for he himself said, I have overcome the world. And so when the spirit gets inside of me and I put my arms around someone who doesn't have the spirit, they get infected with my spirit filled righteousness. For the word of God says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Paul knew that there was something on the inside of him. And I praise God for not having to get it right all the time. Not always having to have the right methodology or the right approach. He didn't have the right sermon. It's very obvious from the text. But what he did have was the right spirit. And I love how David says, create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That is what the Glenville Church is looking for. We are going to Euclid because God is putting something on the inside that we will transfer to other people and they will come back from the dead. I'm tired of being in ministry and simply speaking over dead, dry bones. But I'm receiving the prophetic word of God himself that says, can these dry bones live? Man, I know Paul heard it. He heard God say, man, can that young man live? Well, then prophesy over it. And let the Spirit's wind blow over you and get inside of that boy and watch him come back to being a living soul. I have received the call of God to have his passion. To not only have his passion, but to have his spirit. And that spirit is going to lead to the transformation of lives around the entire world. But we have gotten so caught up to a capitalistic religion that suggests you are only here for what you can gain. But let me tell you, man, God says to lose your life for my sake is actually the gain. To put it down on the line for lost souls, that's the gain. No, it's not a gain when you move to a four-bedroom house with three bathrooms. That's not the gain. It's not a gain when this whole church is just packed to the brim. That's not the gain. It's not a gain when you record hundreds of baptisms. That's not the gain. The gain is when you put your own life on the line to see somebody else come back to life. That's the game. And that's why Jesus says, 
If anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross and follow me. For anyone that tries to save their own life, anyone that tries to use me just to get eternal life, they're actually going to be the ones who lose their life. Why? Because that's a selfish motivation coming from selfish gain. All you want is immortality, but you do not reflect the character of Christ. For he then follows up that text that says, but he who lays down his life for my name's sake, he's the one who will find it. As a musician becomes to play, comes to play, I want you to see verse 12. Because verse 12 is the confirmation of this entire message. It says in verse 12, they took the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. I look at Jesus and he says to his disciples before he leaves, behold, I send you another advocate, one who comes after me, who's even better than I am. And his name is the comforter. The sign that we have been sealed, according to Ephesians chapter four, is not the Sabbath. The sealing of God's people is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is consistent throughout the biblical text that the sabbath according to ezekiel is simply a sign he said this will be a sign between me and you but the sealing of god's people is when they receive the comforter and the book of revelation says that right now we're in a time of delay and god himself calls out throughout heaven and says hurt not the earth until my people have been sealed what is he talking about? He's not talking about you receiving some doctrinal truth. He's talking about you receiving the spirit who will lead you into all truth. He's saying, do not send the final tribulation and trial until my people have received comfort. That's what God wants to give us, comfort. All of the stress and discouragement, all the despair and depression, what does this world need? Comfort. And if we'd be ashamed for us to receive comfort and not share it, it is clear in the text that Paul had comfort. But he also successfully shared that comfort. For it says the boy went home that night and everyone was comforted. The sign that the Holy Spirit had visited the church and performed a miraculous sign for a lost individual coming from a toxic environment. No, I don't want the baptism of water as a sign that my church has found God. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But did not Jesus say in John chapter 3 for someone to enter into the kingdom of heaven? They must receive two things, not one thing. He says the baptism of water and the baptism of the spirit. We have gotten too hype about calling people to repentance, which John the Baptist says is the baptism of water. And our denomination has made all of its claims on calling a world to repentance but I want to suggest that God wants to call the world to comfort. Comfort ye, all ye lands. 
Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Over and over, I am the living water. If you drink of this, you will never thirst again. All throughout his story, he's trying to say, I want people to receive comfort. The peace that passes all understanding. And Euclid needs comfort. And so God's charge and challenge to Glenville is, go get Eutychus. No more standing idly by, being infatuated with the truth we have. Surrounded by lamps. In well-lit spaces. Now it's time for us to be the light of the world. And to go into dark spaces so that we can bring comfort. For David says, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Someone here receives this word and they're like, man, I want to accept the challenge. I just want you to rise to your feet in this moment. God has issued a challenge. You're feeling called to get back to Eutychus. And you know a Eutychus in your heart or your mind. There's someone you're thinking about, maybe in your family. There's, there's some Eutychuses all around Cleveland. And you have heard this word and you say, God, I want the ability to throw my life on people and see them come back to life. I'm not going to Bible beat them to death, but instead I feel called to give them a hug. Because the Bible says Paul never prayed over that boy. All he did was hug that boy. And in the moment that he hugged him, he knew that boy had received what was inside of him. There are some people in this church who are feeling called to that type of ministry. God, give me supernatural indwelling of your spirit. It takes me beyond listening to truth. I want to transfer life to people. I want to be a conduit of your grace. I want to come in contact with people and see them go from a dead place to a live place. I want to send people home different. I want to send them home with comfort. One last call for those who are saying, no, no, I do want to take that step. I feel it in my bones that there's some truth here that I'm trying to access. Didn't know I was lacking it, but now I see it. I want to go get you to kiss. Father God, you see us. God, you see us. Your word promises me, oh God, that in the moment that someone opens up the door of their heart, that you've actually been standing there knocking for a little bit of time. They finally hear and they come to the door and they say, who is it? Your word says that when they invite you in, you will sit down and you will actually eat with them. And I'm praying that those who are standing in this moment will receive the benefit of that promise. God, they are looking for a supernatural indwelling of the spirit that allows them to bring dead people back to life. God, we repent of the idols of our doctrines. We repent of the idols of our buildings. We repent of the idols in our board meetings. We repent of the idols in our nominating committees. We repent of the idols we have lifted up that at one time were good for us, but now are only keeping us from establishing the mission of God. We repent for allowing us to be so into truth that we forgot about the people who are falling asleep. 
And I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you fulfill the promise, fulfill the vision that you have given Glenville Seventh-day Adventist Church. These people are standing, God. Your word says where two or three people agree on anything, it will be given to them in heaven. God, I see multiples of threes. And therefore, I believe this church has now become prime territory for you to touch down here, to give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and to send them to Euclid so they can bring dead people back to life again. That community needs comfort. And so I pray over the block parties that will be held there in the park. I pray over the Wednesday night studies and Grace University classes that will be held there. I pray of the small over the small corners and the high rises, the community centers that will be used. I pray for the property that you've already selected for this church to move to. I pray that you would open up the doors. That you would pour them out blessings that they have no room to receive. That their cup would run over so that they could share with that community. May they have no lack for anything in pursuing this vision. But may the spirit of the Lord fight on their behalf. For Moses looked to you and said, the Lord is a warrior. And warrior is his name. Fight on behalf of this church and this vision. Help us to go get Eutychus. In the name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. If you receive the word, can you just put your hands together? Just say thank you to the Lord for sending it. Amen. Come on, somebody. Let's put our hands together and thank the Lord for a mighty word. Mighty. Come on, you can do better than that. How many got the blessing? You got more than you bargained for today. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Tonight at 6.30, tonight at 6.30, we look forward to seeing you here as Pastor Polite will preach his final message to us tonight at 6.30. Just come relaxed, come for a good time in God's presence. We're going to have some powerful praise and worship, and then we're going to let the man of God share his word with us. How many are you going to be here tonight at 6.30? Who's coming tonight? Uh-huh, who's coming tonight? Yes, Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you so much for igniting the fire that burned in the apostles to go get Eutychus. And God, we are convicted now by the word that you gave through your manservant that our job right now is not trying to get to heaven, but trying to get people to follow us to heaven. God, take our eyes off ourselves and help us to be willing to lose our life, our identity, whatever it takes to reach a soul. Give us that, God. God, as one preacher said, we would be totally inappropriate to call people out of Babylon into Laodicea. Oh, God, we, got to, we need a revival in Laodicea. 
you've got to break the lukewarmness because we have not really earned the right to call anybody out of Babylon until we have experienced the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. So if there's anybody here today that wants to leave knowing that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, would you just lift your hands up to heaven and say, Lord, let some drops fall on me. Spirit of the living God, fall in my house and fall on my job and fall in my marriage and fall in my children. Fall on me, Holy Spirit. And we might do your will. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Would you just hug your neighbor, love on them. God bless you. Look forward to